Good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program we'll have a look at uh, one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is make sure your sales goals aren't unrealistic. We're also going to have a chat with uh, Christina later on on our Minute of Innovation. We're going to be looking at aligning your personal goals with your business. Right now, we're going to have a chat with Matt Wicks, from, who's a lawyer with uh, Baker Love Lawyers, and we're going to talk about directors' responsibilities. Good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us. It's been a year, you know, since we, yeah. we last spoke. <laughs> no, it, it has been. It's been a good year, though. <laughs> but I thought it would be an interesting subject, because there's a lot of talk about uh, directors and directors' responsibilities. So um, I suppose we start with who's considered a director. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Julian. Um, obviously, directors are the people who uh, govern a company on behalf of the shareholders, and um, this obviously is a term that's de- defined by the Corporations Act, and it's not just those who are validly appointed as a director by the company. So um, there, there are things such as de facto directors who um, are people who act in the position of a director without actually being val- validly appointed as a director, um, there's shadow directors who are those people in the background who um, essentially are telling a validly directed, a valid director what to do, um, and they act in accordance to those instructions. Um, and then there's different standards that apply to executive directors and non-executive directors, um, executive directors being those who are employed by the company um, in an executive capacity. So um, the Corporations Act um, sucks in all of those different um, categories of people um, and deals with them as directors. Okay, so, so what are some of the main directors' duties? Um, again, those duties are, are set out in the Corporations Act um, as well as um, within what we call the common law. Um, and there's a number of directors' duties which um, all of the people I just discussed must abide by. Um, so some of those include um, a duty of care and diligence. Uh, and this requires directors to act with a degree of care and diligence which um, the law considers a reasonable person in their shoes would be expected to show in that role. Um, another duty is a duty to act in good faith, um, which involves acting in the best interests of the company um, and for a proper purpose at all times. So, for example, if there's a conflict of interest, um, a, person, a director would have to reveal those conflicts as they arise. Um, and that particular duty is held um, at a particularly high level. Um, it's, it's what we call in the law of fiduciary duty, um, and, and it holds higher penalties uh, for those who breach those duties. Um, there's also duties relating to the proper use of um, position and information within a company. So um, if a director can't use um, their position to gain an advantage for themselves um, and make decisions or use information to do that, um, obviously your role as a director is um, to act in the best interests of shareholders um, who they often represent and um, the law holds them to this uh, responsibility. Um, one of the major ones which most people are probably aware of is um, a duty to not um, trade whilst insolvent. Um, I don't have time to go through that one today. It's a, it's a massive topic in itself um, and we'll leave that for another day I think. But they must be obviously aware of the financial institu- uh, situation of an organisation. Oh, absolutely. There's, they've got to be acutely aware of the financial situation of the company. Um, obviously, there's a number of um, reporting 
requirements um, to ASIC, uh, which are obviously very important roles of directors as well. Um, it's important that they stay on top of those things. Are there any duties that are specific to a particular company? Look, there can be, Julian. Um, and look, one of the things I usually advise clients is to make sure they're on top of the company's governing documents. So um, a company's constitution or their um, a shareholders agreement may set out um, particular duties of um, their directors that go beyond those things contained within the Corporations Act or um, in the common law. So it's, it's, it's a good idea to make sure that if you're a director of a company that you're, you're well across the contents of any shareholders agreement or the constitution um, to make sure that you're fully compliant with your duties as a director. So I think that leads us to the big question, what happens if you breach your director's duties? Oh, there's a lot of doom and gloom um, involved with that, Julian. Um, there's, uh, there are penalty provisions in the Corporations Act um, which apply to the duties that I discussed earlier, um, and these can include criminal sanctions. So, for example, if you were to breach the duty of good faith um, or to improperly use information or position, um, those offences are what are more so dishonesty um, offences, and they can be punishable by up to five years' imprisonment. So fairly hefty punishment for those sorts of offences. Um, beyond that, there's also civil sanctions that apply under the Corporations Act, uh, and this can make the individual director liable to pay a substantial fine. Um, actions can be commenced by ASIC, uh, particular shareholders, or even creditors who have suffered due to a director failing to comply with their duties. Uh, beyond that, uh, a director can be disqualified by ASIC or a court for a, a fair period of time for acting as a company officeholder due to um, breaching one of these duties. And obviously the other impact it would have is um, any breach by a director will have negative impacts on the company's performance and reputation. So uh, these aren't strictly legal ramifications, but the shareholders certainly miss out um, once word gets out that the director's have been uh, misleading the, the public. Um, so, look, there are always exceptions to the rules. There's a number of defences under the Corporations Act to um, breaching directors' duties. Um, but, look, if you have any concerns, you should probably seek advice on, on those specific issues. Uh, it's, it's a very vast area of law, um, which our short amount of time today doesn't allow us to go into in too much detail, unfortunately. But, I think the take-home message um, really is that directors need to be familiar with their responsibilities um, and, if in doubt, act honestly and in good faith. Just one quick one. And yeah, of course. You've alluded to it just now with uh, a director not allowing a business to trade insolvently. And a lot of people, particularly in a very small business where there is one director and one shareholder and it's the same person, they, you know, they think they're covered if the company goes uh, into liquidation. Where as a shareholder, they're covered, but director, they're not. Yeah, look, it's a, that's a that's an interesting, um, interesting point. And look, I, I, I guess on that, um, again, as I as I touched on, it's it's. It's about knowing what's going on with your company. So, mm. um, being being across your books, um, it, it, you can you can basically avoid that situation if you're well prepared. Um, what the law is really concerned with is people who are fully aware of um, their financial circumstances and, and getting themselves into more strife yeah. in those situations. So, yeah. Yeah. it's a it's it's a, it's a matter of being being vigilant. I think. Good.
Good. Thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat with you again another time. Thank you, Julian. Maybe not a year. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully sooner. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. Time to pop over for our Minute on Innovation with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. I giggle every time you say one minute because I'm sure we never stick to that time. Well, that's what we call the the segment, so (laughs) that's what we'll call it. Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, and I'm, well, I'm very happy to talk to you for, for a minute or longer, whatever yeah, happens. Whatever we've got happens about to five me. minutes you can talk today. Fantastic. So, so we're going to talk about aligning your personal goals with your business. Yeah, so we do a lot of work um, in and with, with Simon Sinek's team actually around start with why and, you know, what's the purpose behind the business and what's the purpose behind, what's the legacy that we want to leave, um, how do we want to impact the world. And... We all have individual whys, uh, and it's really important for that to be reflected in the business or the businesses that we're working in if they're not our own businesses. So we've actually been doing a little bit of work with some organisations lately around um, what their true north is and, you know, what is the overarching purpose of an existing business? Is it to help people? Is it to help people change more change lives? Is it to help more people do, you know, wonderful things? Is it to, to create a, a planet... Um, a, a planet that's worthy of leaving to our children. Um, and our own personal wise, in order for us to be happy and be productive in a business, need to really align with that overarching business um, goal that an organisation might have. And a lot of, we've talked um, in the past about, you know, how, how to recruit people so that that is aligned. Their personal why may be aligned with, with what your personal why is. Uh, so that that is quite an important issue for a lot of people. Um, and so onboarding is quite is clearly important. And we've talked about Zappos as well. Uh, and Zappos have uh, an amazing, you know, four-week onboarding system. But Zappos also uh, have, uh, have recently experienced in the last couple of years their highest attrition rate. So how that worked for them was they changed their whole management structure. They were going into this management of holacracy uh, and... At the end of the day, there were some people that were in the organisation that weren't comfortable with that management system and they left. So the moral to that story really is people do leave organisations when their why doesn't align with the true north of the business. Mm. Uh, and, and that's totally okay because what then happens is they move on and work with organisations that they're comfortable with and the organisations then thrive with the new people that come on board um, and also the existing staff. You know, we've talked many times about how productivity increases with a, with a healthy workplace culture. Mm. But for me, it's a really important alignment that you need to be in unison and you all need to be headed in the same direction um, as, that, as the business that you're operating either as your own business or if, if you're working in somebody else's business. Yeah, I think that's some fantastic points there. Um, what I find, though, generally in a lot of businesses is the uh, the why or the goals of the business or the values of the business are not clearly expressed with their employees. Yeah, that's true. And a, a really useful um, exercise that we did with, with one company in particular, they had, they've got these, most organisations have got values and vision hidden in drawers somewhere, you know, and whether you want to put them out and, and stick them up, paint them on a wall, take a photo, whatever it is, um, is relevant or irrelevant, depending on whether you're prepared to walk the talk. So one exercise that we did with an organisation, they had about 30 people, or they have around 30 people in the organisation, and they had six goals. 
uh, or six values, you know, values that they wanted to, to live by. So we suggested that they divide their 30 people into those six, into six groups, uh, and then those groups were then responsible, one group per week, for giving the organisation some way of turning that, that vision, that, that value, into a verb. So how are they actually going to act out honesty, integrity, you know, and they can be very small things. So, for example, one of, their, one of their values was that they always act with honesty. And we said, well, how do you portray honesty? What does that mean to you? Uh, and one of, the, one of the team members said, well, you know, if we can look somebody in the eye and have the conversation, then that for us portrays honesty. So mm. the exercise for that week was when you were talking to somebody, you had to look them in the eye. There was no looking away, looking at a phone, looking down at a paper, referencing, referencing a computer. It was eye-to-eye contact. So small things like that mm. that remind you of the values that align with the why and the, and the overall mission of an organisation work really well. I think the other thing that's important is that the employees also have to have passion, the same passion for the for the business that the uh, the owner has or or the uh, management has. And I was at a conference recently, and they were talking about this particular coffee shop, and uh, the uh, staff were very uh, blasé about it. And they spoke to one of the staff members, and he said, "Well, I don't even like coffee." I totally agree with you. Yeah. But that passion needs to be reflected. But you know, the other thing is that your employer or the management need to allow that passion to shine through as well. Yeah. You know, if you want to stick to the to the coffee scenario, there's two examples of coffee stores I walk past almost daily. One of them, the the sole barista in there is standing behind looking down, there's nothing welcoming about the about the store at all. And the other one they've got music playing, the guys are chatting to everybody, you know, if they're not chatting to, to people there, they're talking to each other. Changes the vibe completely. Yeah. All right. Well thanks very much for your time, Christina. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Christina there with some ideas on aligning your personal goals with your business. And, yeah, it's okay for staff not to be comfortable. They can move on. We've got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one here, make sure your sales goals aren't unrealistic. When a majority of salespeople miss a goal, it's often because the management team or yourself has set the goal too high. Unrealistic goals not only dampen sales, but also cause top-performing salespeople to get frustrated and leave. Here's how to assess whether your sales goals are stretching into the impossible. First of all, track historic goal achievement outcomes. Set a benchmark for the percent of salespeople that should make their goals, typically 60 to 75%. If the percentage is consistently below the benchmark, then your goals are likely too high. Secondly, prevent paddling. Don't allow senior leaders to pad national or regional goals before handing them down. Determine whether padding is occurring, to what extent and at what organisational level so that you can um, um, change it. And thirdly, use diagnostics. Classify salespeople into high average and low performance segments and uh, track and compare voluntary attrition rates across those segments. Excessive attrition of high performers coupled with low goal achievements may mean your goals are overstretched. It's a couple of interesting points and often we set those goals a little bit too high for ourselves sometimes. This one here talks about uh, your emails. 
enough with the late night emails already. If it's 11pm and you've just remembered something your team needs to do tomorrow, it might seem like a good idea to send them an email while you're thinking about it. Well, it's not. If you're emailing late at night or on weekends, most employees think a late night response is required or they'll impress you if they respond immediately. Making them be always on hurts results. A frantic environment that includes answering emails at all hours doesn't make your staff more productive. It just makes them busy and distracted. When they're constantly monitoring their email after work, they're missing out on the essential downtime that their brains need. Creativity, inspiration and motivation are depletable resources that need to be recharged. So refrain from after-hours communication and be clear about expectation. Set up policies to support a healthy culture that values downtime. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at those director responsibilities with Matt Wicks from Baker Love Lawyers and aligning our personal goals with Christina. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have a chat on innovation with Christina. We'll have Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants looking at some tax issues and some more business and legal news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Albert Einstein once said, we have to do the best we are capable of. This is our sacred human responsibility.